Hello everyone. Uh, welcome to another episode of What's Happening in Travel. And I'm um, here with my buddy. Oh, sure. <laughs> I got him up guard again. And so um, this is episode 25, I think, is where we are. So um, that's actually pretty good. Um, this is a scruffy episode. I didn't even do a little shaky thing. And um, I have a little background with a little Delta MD88 taking off out of Las Vegas there. So um, we've got a lot of stuff this week. So let's just jump right into it. Um, lots happening in the industry as usual. And all right, so we're going to start with, uh, oh, we're recording this on Saturday, August 15th. And um, the first story is uh, Qantas seem to be trying to make some money. I mean, they're basically not doing any international flying. And um, the country's having some issues with coronavirus at the time. Like, you know, they're banning some of the state things and um, you can't go from like Melbourne to Sydney or something like that. Um, but uh, Krisha's going to tell us what they're up to. So Krisha, what are they doing? So this, this is not something new that they're doing, mm -hmm. but it's something a little different. Okay. Um, so as you said a little earlier, they do not anticipate any foreign travel or foreign flights until at least the middle of next year. So they've got all these planes sitting around in Australia or in the California desert. Yeah. But no more Boeing 747s. They had the 400 ERs and the 400s. So as I said, this has been done before. And um, to utilize these aircraft, especially in the November to January, February timeframe, they have organized these Antarctic flights from leaving from Australian cities and flying over Antarctica. From what I understand, they had stopped it for a while, but this is the first year they're restarting, but this time it's on 7879 aircraft. Now, um, what they're doing is the same thing essentially. They're leaving from seven Australian cities, uh, which are all state capitals, and they're about 12 to 13 hours long um, and they're not exactly cheap because they start from about 800 US dollars 800 to 850 and they go all the way up to almost 6,000 US dollars so remember this 12 to 13 hour flight yeah they've promised to socially distance so they're not taking a full load but you get a full meal and all drinks. And you also have a guide on board um, who answers all your questions. And apparently you can also view the scenery on your IFV. Hmm. But I thought this was a very interesting use of the equipment that is essentially sitting and to recoup some expenses at least into the flight dock and providing a service with this company called um, Antarctic flights, with whom they've partnered in the past. But I just thought it would be interesting to mention, and I would like to do it, but I'm not sure I could afford even the cheapest ticket. Plus, you can't even get to Australia. <laughs> That's true. Not this year. But I don't know how they, they rationalize selling an aisle seat, whether they require people to switch seats mid-flight, but they say that 
within three hours of taking off from an Australian city, you will start to see evidence of um, floating ice and icebergs. And then they're over Antarctic proper uh, for about four hours. And then it takes about four hours to get back to um, home. Oh, that's very cool. But um, yeah, I thought that was uh, uh, so very interesting. And now with, sorry, one more thing. Oh. Now with stops up to 330 minutes from the 180 minutes, they don't have to worry about being twin engine. So this is the first time a twin-engined aircraft will be used. Because normally, as I said, they use the 744s. Okay, so you, you went a little technical there. So explain to folks what you mean about the 330 ETOPS and the 180 ETOPS, and what does ETOPS mean? So um, this is by agreement with all um, aviation groups, government aviation groups throughout the world. And ETOP stands for Extended Range Twin-Engined Operations. So the 330 is the number of minutes um, that an aircraft with two engines is allowed to operate from uh, an airport that is capable of receiving that aircraft. So in the past, it was only 180 minutes. So that's about three hours. So in other words, a twin-engine aircraft had to be within three hours of um, an airport where this aircraft could land in case it developed engine problems. Okay. So now it's almost gone. Well, it is actually six hours. Okay. Almost. Okay. Which essentially um, means twin-engine aircraft can operate everywhere except, you know, going from one end of the Antarctic to the other. And this is not what the are doing from Australia. Yeah, which is good. So, okay. So good. Now that, because I wanted to make sure everyone understood um, what, what all that means. And what this actually does is um, it'll change a lot of the routings because the aircraft routings around the world, there we go. It's already done so, right? Yeah, the aircraft routings done around so. the world yeah. are normally um, based on this and the old. 180 senator whether three when did they when did they do the 330 it's been a few years two years okay yeah so, um and this and this so this changes the routing so that's that normally the airplanes the airplane yeah um so in, in speaking about the Qantas flight i think they used to well it's the same it's the same thing that they do at christmas because that's I've, what they're doing yeah i've that's actually wanted to november take, to january oh, okay because i've wanted to take I'm sorry flight. november to february oh good I wanted to take yeah. that fight for a very long time myself. Um, so, uh, but it's it's super expensive, and it's normally at Christmas time. And you could never get to Australia at Christmas time anyway because yeah. uh, our New Year. Lots I'm not of sure they would take uh, standby passengers. I'm I'm um, not sure yeah. they would do that for that one. I, I was no, I was just gonna you know get enough money and pay for that one so I could write about it. So, <laughs> that was the idea. The lottery and then go. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, you know, maybe if we get a sponsor, maybe if Qantas decides to sponsor us, <laughs> that would be a really good thing that we could that we could do. That Qantas, if you're exactly listening, cool. uh, as soon as things clear up, we'll come down and take care of and, and uh, take care of that. But that's very cool. I think what they used to do with the seven fours is, um, uh, and if you think about it, right, they can just do a pass so people on the left can see what's on the left, 
and then they'll pass in other directions so people on the right can see what's on the right. And I think what they did was you, if you had an aisle seat, you would switch to the window um, so you could see what was there. Mm. Yeah, I think they had no, some kind of protocol like that. If they filled the middle section, um, I, I don't know. I don't think they did. One, because of oh. weight restricted, right? Um, so they could do whatever they need to do. Well, not exactly. No. Because uh, 12, 13 hours, but they have to limit the capacity yeah. to justify the expense. Because what's the point of sitting in the middle? If yeah. You're not going to see anything, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so. so yeah, at, at some point, um, I wouldn't mind sitting in the aisle for a little bit for 800 bucks just to go see Antarctica and come back. <laughs> so. Uh, so if you have life goals, uh, that could be one of them. But it's good, though. It's good that they're trying to be creative. And I'm sure they have all the normal protocols of, you know, getting tested mm -hmm. and all that kind of stuff before you go and yeah. mask. Because New that. Zealand used to do this. Remember that DC-10 crash? Yeah. Into Mount Erebus, I believe it was called, from yeah. on New Zealand. Oh, that's so, right. Yeah, yeah, that's true. They've been doing this for a long time. And clearly yeah. it must be very profitable. Yeah, otherwise, and you know. And there must be significant demand. Yeah, which which makes oh. sense. Um, all right, cool. Well, that's a good story to start off, because you know, we sometimes seem to think that we just have all gloom and doom, but we don't. But you know, so that's a good story to just to, to talk about. Um, we're going to jump ahead a little bit, and we're going to talk about some stuff, or some stories from um, from United. It says uh, United is doing point to point, which is very similar to what uh, Southwest does. Maybe you can explain what point to point flying means so people who don't so, know what that means can understand. I think this is a great idea and um, I think United thinks so too because um, as they said in their corporate release this is reflecting the strategy to opportunistically manage the impact of COVID by uh, increasing service to uh, destinations where people want to fly. Mm -hmm. So normally these large, at least the U.S. airlines, and I would say airlines around the world, not the low-cost ones, operate on a hub-and-spoke basis. So they have fixed hubs. Like mm -hmm. United has about eight um, hubs in the U.S. and international. So generally they have flights operating from their hubs to a destination. But this time they are operating to... Uh, Florida, in particular, Fort Myers, Orlando, Fort Lauderdale, and Tampa, from non-hub non cities like Boston, Cleveland, Indianapolis, Milwaukee, New York, LaGuardia, Pittsburgh, and Columbus. Um, and they're doing this, yeah, in all, it will be about 28 daily flights, um, starting in early November and going until um, early January. Since they don't really expect demand to business markets to pick up, they're putting these aircraft on um, these point-to-point uh, -point routes to cater to leisure travelers. Yeah. And again, I think it's a great idea, and I'm sure the others are going to follow suit. Yeah. And that make, actually okay. makes sense. And then you have less people connecting so you have people like, you know, there's less chance of people mingling with each other 
um, because you get on the plane and you get off the plane. Right. And you're there. So that's actually a good idea when you think about it. So, yeah, I think it's a great idea. Yeah. Because it, Delta already does some of that. Yeah. Non hub to hub, non hub flying. But yeah. Uh, yeah. this is what Southwest does. Exactly. And so um, I'm glad United is doing this. So the question is are the fears going to be higher, you think? I think so. <laughs> I think I think that would be justified. Yeah. To offer um, these customers who are not really used to right. um, nonstop flights, except perhaps from LaGuardia. Exactly. In New York. But then also, um, so stuff like, I mean, when you think about the frequent flyer programs, right, this is going to affect the frequent flyer programs because all these people wanted to do qualify by segment instead of journey. Um, they're probably going to yeah. be affected. So they're probably not so very happy about that. I'm sure JetBlue isn't either out of Boston. Exactly. So, um, so it'll be good. I mean, you know, that's one of the things with the industry, right? Because we're in such a different situation. You see the other airlines trying to do things that work or actually trying things. And if they don't work, you know, they really got nothing to lose uh, in essence because they're already losing money anyway. Um, no. So that's good. Okay. And we have some more news on United about the last week we talked about the E175s so or the last, the second to last episode, um, yeah. might have episode 23. Uh, we talked about the E175s. And uh, somebody mixed it up with the E190s, me. Um, but we had mentioned that United was changing the capacity on that aircraft because of furloughs. So uh, Kusho went and read up on it. So what do you got to tell us, Kusho? This, again, as, a, as we mentioned last time as well, is um, something unique to the uh, US um, carriers. So their contract negotiations with their pilots stipulates that they can only allocate a certain percentage of mainland flights or mainline flights to cheaper airline partners. Okay. So these 175s and 195s are operated by these regional partners. Now, given that they are following several thousand potential, uh, well, they are potentially for following several thousand pilots, they will have to reduce the number of flights that they um, allocate to these regional partners. Hmm. So in order to satisfy that, what they have to do is cut the number of seats on these regional flights. Hmm. So what they're going to do in some cases um, is increase the number of um, premium economy seats on these planes and also in certain sub-fleets reduce the number of seats from 76 to 70. Because 70 is really the limit for this scope clause as they call it. So I think this is sort of a unique problem but um, I can also see Delta and American having to face this issue. Exactly. But I really haven't heard of this happening. except for United when they announced it this week. I thought it was an interesting problem that they had. Yeah, that's interesting. Because Um, it is going to make these flights less profitable, especially on busy routes. 
Yeah, it definitely will. So, so was this something that was going to happen anyway? Once the follows, if once and if the follows took place, yes. Uh, they had to do something. Oh, that's very bizarre. So, and what now? Yeah. Um, that's another topic, but uh, I think they're renegotiating with the government to get more money so they wouldn't really furlough people. Right. See, that brings on additional complications. So what happens to people who have voluntarily left but didn't really want to leave? Do they get reinstated or is are they out of luck? So yeah, and there are a lot of those I can people. see all sorts of problems coming from this. Yeah, there's a lot of those people. Oh, oh, good grief. Yeah. Um all right. So in keeping with the fleet changes, um looks like Lufthansa is having some issues. So they're considering some fleet changes as well. Um, this is a big one, I think, for Lufthansa. Big I as never in, realized. As an A380 big? <laughs> no, I never realized Lufthansa, the Lufthansa family, which includes Swiss, Austrian, Brussels, and Lufthansa, and of course, Eurowings. It's huge, right? They have 760 aircraft. And what they want to do is get rid of a hundred of those, which is mm. actually a huge number. Yeah, that's big. But unfortunately, the aircraft that are going to be retired or removed are the 747-400. This only applies to Lufthansa. The 346s and 343s, which applies to Swiss and Lufthansa. And, um, and the hapless 380. <laughs> Now, they've already, they had 14 380s, I believe. Um, yeah. And they've already sold six back to Airbus as part of a deal recently um, for the Lufthansa Group to buy more 350s. Uh, so okay. what their long-haul fleet is going to be comprised of the 330 between um, Lufthansa, Swiss, and uh, Brussels. And uh, the 748, which is a relatively new aircraft for Lufthansa, and the 777X, which again will be for Lufthansa only. But they are also ordered several 20789s and 27350s, and those will be distributed among the partner carriers. Mm, okay. But again, it's, I think it's sad to see the 380s go from yet another carrier, and they're yeah. not even that old. So, so, um, so what but I guess, I guess desperate times call for desperate measures. Yeah. So, what did we and say? And also, the... sorry, go ahead. one more thing. Uh -huh. uh, the MD 11 freighters, five of them for Lufthansa cargo, are also going. And of course, they'll be replaced with the 777. Okay, which makes sense. I mean, MD-11 freighters have been around for a while. forever. Yeah. <laughs> well, not that long, actually. Yeah. I mean, as much as cargo makes a lot of money, but they've been, they've been yeah. running for a long, long time. Um, and, you know, so, 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 so the, the, the bad thing about all this is that whenever you hear of airplanes going out of service, it also means that crew going out of service. Yes. Right? Because they won't need more unemployment. Yeah, to fly them. But I thought it was curious they didn't mention anything about Austrian. 
because Austrian has a really old fleet of the 763s and the old 777s. So they didn't mention about what they were going to be doing with those aircraft. Hmm. But I'm guessing that the 789s and at least some of the 340s would at least go to Austria. I would think so, right? Um, Wow. So what's happening to all these A380s? Are they going to make them into cargo? Because there's a lot of them now. Yes, there are. But you see, the A380 was never really designed to be a cargo operator. Right. Because the floor, it has three levels, which is unique. No other aircraft has three levels. But the problem is that the weight on the first two levels cannot sustain cargo because they were built for passengers only. Airbus really never considered their conversion to freighters. That's one limit factor. Wow. Hmm. Highfly has uh, taken over one of the ex first Singapore Airlines. um, A380s. Uh-huh. They've converted it to a freighter, but it's only, it's not like regular cargo. It's like PPE cargo, which is really not that heavy, but it's, it's that bulky. Yeah. That's interesting. So, yeah. yeah it seems almost a waste for these brand, almost brand new aircraft to be relegated to the desert and the scrap heap. Yeah. Well, you know what's interesting with the 380, right? Is that the marketing thing about it was how. How fuel efficient and environmentally friendly it is, and yeah. airlines are like, yeah, but 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 it doesn't make us money, so bye bye. That's right. Yeah, Airbus was just a little too late. Yeah, that's sad. So, that's really sad. But speaking it's of such airplanes, a remarkable aircraft, it really is a great I, airplane. It really is. Um, I mean, when I when I flew my first one, I was like, yeah, this is kind of big, but it's nice and quiet. Yeah. The engineering is, is incredible. It really is. And my goal was to try to fly all of the carriers I have them, but that's not going to happen now. <laughs> uh, so, all right. So in keeping with Lufthansa, um, what's going on with their Airbus A320? Are they scrapping them? What's happening with that? So again, I thought this was, I, I did not know about this, but um, they've been doing this for a while. So what they call it is Lufthansa upcycling. So what they did, um, I believe a year or two ago, is they scrapped their first Airbus 346, which is the 340-600. And they took parts of the fuselage of that aircraft and made keychains and um, essentially pendants out of the fuselage metal. Ah, okay. And they had great success with that. So what they did with um, their first Airbus 320, it was delivered over 30 years ago and is now um, been parted in Sofia in Bulgaria. And what they've done is that they've taken it apart and they're selling parts of it um, to the consumer. So they've used the seat material, headrests, um, and uh, other parts of the of the plane into consumer material like bags and things like that. Right. 
Now what they're doing is they're using the winglets um, and the flaps and other parts of the aircraft as furniture. Hmm. Again, very interesting, but it's yeah. not cheap. So you have to be an aviation enthusiast with deep pockets to be able to afford these things. Because, um, for instance, a key ring from the fuselage of a, the 320 will be anywhere from 29 US dollars to about 55 US dollars. Again, not cheap. Um, tables with the speed brakes, the flaps, the doors of the plane are upwards of 200 US dollars and go all the way up to 10,000. So you have to be a real devotee of an aircraft to want that in your house. But apparently, um, there are people who are willing to pay. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I thought this was a great idea. Yeah. Um, and actually, you can, if you're interested, um, you can just go to the Lufthansa website or you can go to World Shop. EU and type in Lufthansa Recycling or Lufthansa Upcycling. Oh, and this cool. version is called Upcycling 2.0. First, 1.0 was the 346 figure. Okay. Now, given all the aircraft that they're going to remove from service, I doubt they could do this with all the planes. But I think any incremental revenue they could get is. Was it? Yeah, that's so, cool because yeah, um, it's quite amazing to see a coffee table with the base being you being an aircraft door. Uh, yeah, that's pretty cool. So, I remember when I went to ITB last year. I think it was because they didn't have one this year. Uh, ITB is at large um, travel conference, the largest travel conference in the world, and um, Berlin, correct? Yeah, oh, no. it's, in, it's in Berlin. Yeah, they didn't have one this year because of the coronavirus, but they had it last year. And um, Lufthansa did talk about um, the, using the seat covers and things like that to make the bags and, and all that. And World Shop is their website that they use to, um, to sell all their online, I guess it's their online, online web shop. So this, is, this would be cool. And yeah, I think they will sell out rather quickly. Because there's a lot of airline geeks out there. There are people who have seats in their house. So yeah. <laughs> uh, well done well done um all right cool so let's see what else we have here in terms of airlines and we'll probably get oh okay so let's talk about uh china eastern is um they're doing some unlimited flying uh, i guess they have some kind of coupon so you can earn well, what yeah. are they doing well, they did this in the past, actually, for um, about the equivalent of about 400 US, 480 US dollars. Yeah. They had unlimited flying, but only on weekends. So what they've done recently is update that uh, for not too much more, for 500 US dollars, you can fly anywhere in China for 180 days on any China Eastern flight before 8 a.m. and after 8 p.m. That's not too bad. But when you think about it, it's not too bad of a deal. Yeah. Especially if you're a, a rich airline geek, um, 
this is not a bad way to spend 180 days to go all the way across China on these flights. And China Eastern is one of the largest three carriers in the country. Yeah, so they have an extensive network. Is this but, just for locals um, or anyone? It's for open to anyone. And it's just a way of stimulating traffic and the local hospitality industry. Yeah. So, and apparently they're not getting the traffic they expected because they are currently operating about 90% of their normal schedule for this time of the year. That is pretty remarkable in its own self. That's pretty but, good. Um, people are still scared worldwide. Yeah. Are I know JetBlue did this in the past. Didn't you take advantage of this yeah, a few years did. ago? They call it all you can jet. And okay. um, I think I had paid four nine either four ninety-nine or three ninety-nine. And I could basically fly anywhere in the system. I just had to give them a three-day notice, I think it was. Okay. Um, and so uh, because I was working at the time, I could only do it on weekends. So I would start flying Friday and then I'd finish Sunday. And uh, it was actually quite good. I I forgot how many airports I got to see. But um, I'd gone to Puerto Rico and done some Puerto Rican okay. airports. I went upstate New York. Um, I got my, I think it was three ninety nine. I got my three ninety nine or whatever it was that I paid for it out of. Okay. I wish the U.S. I know. Do I don't know what similar. the regulations are for China Eastern, so I'm, but I'm yeah. sure you have to book at least a day or two before departure. Yeah. I think the U.S. carriers are going to have to do something similar to that um, because, I mean, I'd, you know, once, once we figure out what's going on and we figure some kind of protocols in place, the thing is that, you know, it, if people would just do what they're being told to do, I, I know people think that that's some kind of, um, we're in some kind of communist state where people tell us what to do, but we have a problem. So if we just, it would, it would make things so much easier because yeah, if they came up with something like that for the US, I'd think about how I could, you know, how I could try to afford that and maybe get some partners on board, even get the airlines to sponsor it to show that yes, you can fly and things like that. But, um, but to my but, yeah. knowledge, JetBlue hasn't really brought it back on an annual basis. Have they? They, they kind of brought something, but it wasn't the same. I forget exactly what it was, um, but it, no, that all you can jet was the best thing they ever had, and they don't they don't have it anymore. Yeah, and well, America, too many people used it, or not enough people used it. For I think worthwhile. I think too many people used it. Yes, <laughs> yes, and <laughs> uh, I know it's probably one of them. But you know, I mean, you know, we just did whatever the rules, whatever the rules says that they did, um, as long as it's three days before. Um, and it was fun. It was actually on that flight where uh, we were pulling out of Richmond, I think it was. Um, no, not Richmond. Uh, upstate New York. Uh, the one next to Rochester. Buffalo, Rochester. So we're pulling out of Rochester and this guy was on his cell phone and he wouldn't get off. And um, the flight attendant uh, took him off. We went back to the gate and took him off and everybody was clapping after he left. Uh, it was pretty bad because, I mean, she talked to him uh, twice and he ignored her. As soon as she walked away, he put the phone back and she just, she said, yep, you're off. And he left without a fight, so that was good. <laughs> um, 
All right, cool. Yeah, I, I hope. Uh, I I think you're probably going to see some of that happening with other carriers just to stimulate demand. Because even after we've come up with, you know, okay, fine, we we um, we have some kind of um, mitigation factor to stop the virus. Uh, it's still going to take a while for people to fly because remember that a lot of people are without jobs, and so it's still going to take a while. And they'll probably have you know a lot of promotions, you know, promotional deals, and things like that to get to get things going. Wow, I I, I would. I would, it would be good if they gave you like, you know, triple miles or something like that for some of these deals. That I would definitely do. I or, do. or maybe give you like gold status or something like that. <laughs> Although speaking of that, um, Delta has, uh, so I, I'm gold with Delta and it would have expired, I think 2021 and they've actually extended it to 2022. United did a similar thing, didn't they? For the yeah, top yeah. tier or something? For the top tiers, yeah. I think most, yeah. most of them are, because the whole concept was, the more I fly, the way I get to keep my, my status. But I'm not mm. flying, so I can't keep my status. Um, I know like yeah. with American Express, they're giving you like more points for the things that you buy because you can't use a card for the flight that you're doing. Um, I wish they would lower the cost of their membership though, because we're not using it. But, uh, but what they do do, and if you have an American Express card, um, they have something called shop, oh, oh, it just slipped my mind, shop something. But when you go into your okay. account, you will see it, it's a promotion. And if you sign up uh, for shop, whatever it's called, um, every time you use a small business that has that, that deal, you get $5 back up to $50 because it's, it's 10 times the amount. Mm. Um, and so I think I've gotten back like $40. And some merchants that I didn't even know had it uh, do. And what you're doing is you're helping out the small business because I think they're actually mm. passing on that savings to the small business. And it's also stimulating um, spending in a sense. So it's actually mm. quite good. Uh, oh, speaking of um, Delta, I read where um they are actually gonna start uh doing at-home testing and they've, they've done like half of their employees already and they have like seventy-five thousand employees and they're doing at-home testing so uh coronavirus testing i don't know the procedure i don't know what kind of thing they're using but um basically their goal is to test the employees to make sure that if people feel sick or if people are sick then they don't come to work um, which will definitely help you. The thing, the thing that I like uh, with what Delta is doing is, so people aren't flying because they're scared and it's pointless to argue with people when they're scared. But if you feel, if you're scared about something and I try to leave, find out what you're scared of and then try to fix that, then I think people are more, um, you know, open to doing, to, to coming back to flying. So I think that's what Delta is doing. Um, they know that people don't like somebody sitting next to them because they think they're going to catch the coronavirus from them. True or false, that's a fear that they have. So what they did, they left the middle seat open. They know that people are scared, uh, thinking that, well, if somebody's sick, I don't know if somebody's sick. And the biggest thing that they're saying is for the people who are asymptomatic. Right. Because, and I was thinking, is is there a test for asymptomatic 
um, thing. Yeah, because you have the virus, right? So you yeah. can so test it, just, it. But the thing is, you don't know you have the virus. Right, you don't know you have it because you have yeah. no symptoms. So that's the problem. Yeah. So then, this, oh. so, so then, but doesn't, if you're asymptomatic, does, uh, um, so if someone's asymptomatic and someone is sick with the virus, does the test results show differently for either of them? I don't believe so. Okay. All it, it depends when you're affected. Okay. It depends. Because if you're infectious, um, then yes, you would show it. Okay. But remember, once the immune system catches up, um, you really can't detect the virus. I got it. So if you're so asymptomatic, so, so it depends when you're tested. Ah, okay. If you're infected and infectious, or if you have been infected. Uh, okay. So so so, uh, so let me just see if I understand it. So then I could I could have been infected with the virus. But mm -hmm. I'm asymptomatic, i.e., I didn't get sick, but I am infected. You're infected, and you may or may not be infectious, depending on when you're tested. Right, and infectious meaning passing it on to somebody else. Yes. Uh, right, and and which is always the which is always the weird thing, which is why I right. I haven't gone and seen my mom because I'm like I don't know. <laughs> and that's the scary part because some people are not affected, but others seemingly healthy or healthier people uh, die or they have severe consequences exactly and i think that's what people don't consider right they just think that they're not going to fall sick but they don't consider other people uh, whom they may pass the disease on to without knowing it yeah so that's the frustrating part it is and so and i think so yeah. And, and and that's one of the things that I think as we learn more, we'll figure out, okay, fine. So um, you, you're asymptomatic. Here's what you need to take for that. Um, you know, you are symptomatic. Here's what you need to take because it's probably going to be a different, a different regiment or different treatment. Um, yeah. So, so what really isn't the flu. I mean, right. yes, it's similar to the flu, but it has many more longstanding uh destructive effects on the human body compared to the flu virus. Which yeah. is good. So, so then what Delta is doing in their case is they're hitting it straight on and saying, you know what, we want to test everybody, figure out what's going on with our, with our staff, and then we can actually go from there. And I think what that will do, that will give customer consumers a little more confidence in thinking of flying. Thinking of flying. Do you know how often test that? Stop. No, it didn't. It didn't really say. It was a very short blurb um, that I read. That's what I hate about these uh, <laughs> news reporters. They never give yeah. you the full story. Right. Exactly. So, so but I'm, pre I'm pretty. And sure what that sort of test? How quick will you get your results? Yeah. No. It wasn't anything like that. It, it, yeah. didn't even, it didn't even say. Oh, so can I go buy that test? Although I did go to the pharmacy, local pharmacy, and they, you can buy an at-home coronavirus test for one hundred and forty dollars, and it takes three to four days to get the results. And the test is is the saliva test. Okay. So, but again, is, that's not cheap, though. No, I'm, I'm but but not cheap. I would think that the manufacturer of whatever test it is that Delta is doing the at-home test. I mean, it's seventy. It's seventy-five thousand people, right? 
And so mm. that is a lot of money. I'm pretty sure Delta is not paying $140 each. No, of course not. <laughs> um, but, you know, it's good that uh, a company is saying, look, we need to make sure we have a healthy workforce um, because all these people are on uh, medical benefits from Delta. So if they're not mm -hmm. healthy, it's going to cost them more to cover them. Yep. So um, it's, I'm glad when companies think like this and think kind of out of the box and look at the entire large picture. So kudos, kudos on, on Delta for doing that. Um, all right, oh. so we've done the Delta thing. Uh, let's talk about, we've done the China Eastern flying. Uh, okay, uh, we have a story in American. Um, what's been happening is that there has a whole bunch of different face masks around. And some have some little events, some don't have little events. And airlines are starting to ban the one with vents. And American is the newest one to do that. So Tush is going to explain that and kind of explain what's the big deal about having a vent in your mask. So American apparently is the latest and last of the U.S. majors to ban these um, vented um, face masks from being used on their flights. So what it is, is that um, these vented face masks allow any exhaled breath. So when you breathe out, you enter the atmosphere. And since this virus exists in um, aerosols, it would be uh, released into the atmosphere through this vent. So it sort of makes sense. It actually, it actually does make complete sense for airlines to ban this. But what I'm surprised is why didn't they do this a lot earlier and from the very beginning if they knew this? Yeah. But um, I guess we're all learning through this together. But still, I would imagine that uh, they would have known that um, vented masks allow um, exhaled air to be released into the atmosphere. I would think so. Maybe it just took him a little longer to figure it out. But, yeah. Um, yeah. And, and I, now I, there are also in the efficacy of these masks. As they said, I think just a few days, a day or two ago. There are what you said? So Say it again. The efficacy, uh, how oh. effective yeah. different masks are. Like some are not even worth wearing. Um, like I think scarves or something like that, but anything you can see through is not worth wearing. Right, which they should be at least double sense. or triple layered. Yeah, which makes sense. I mean, and people are doing handkerchiefs and uh, those little neck things that people wear when yes. they run. I believe those are the worst. Yeah, yeah. Um, oh. I mean, I when I flew, I flew. I had two masks. Um, you did? I, yes, I did. Um, and it's funny because I took a photo and somebody goes, oh, so you had two masks? I was like, yes, I did. What well, one of my you friends... Cover your eyes? Huh? Did you cover your eyes? No, no. I okay. just had a regular, a regular, um, those blue, the, the normal blue mm. one everybody wears. Mm. And then I had another one, which is one of those KN95s, whatever they had. Um, okay. And then what my what my friend told me, and he flies every week. I guess you can't wear those anymore because they're vented, aren't they? No, they're not. Oh, they're not. Okay. No, 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 they're not vented. Yeah, the ones I had were okay. not. We're not. We're not vented. Um, and he says what he does is he puts um, a coffee filter um, inside one of the inside of the, okay. the 
inside of the mask, and then he puts another mask on the outside, and uh, and that helped. He's a chemist, so uh, okay. we went. To, we yeah, went what to if that makes it hard to breathe though? You have a coffee filter. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah. I guess you have to breathe like you know, regulate your breathing or something like that. Yeah. What, what I found about the mask was the ones that go around your ears. Um, it hurts my ears. And so eventually I was actually getting a little headache just because it was like, I mean, okay. I started flying early like eight o'clock and I finished at like five, five o'clock in the evening. So it started to hurt my ears. And I'm thinking if you have, but they have a thing that will, it's like a little strap thing. You put it on and it, and it's, it kind of holds it up from your ears. So the, the suggestion would be, if you're going to have a long flight, try to get something that's not, that kind of goes around your head as opposed to going over your ears because it does hurt your ears. I have a big head, so that's mm. not why. <laughs> um, uh, okay, so I think we're done with the, oh, we have one more. Um, Android is, um, I guess SpiceJet is doing something with the Android phones. Uh, what are they doing? This was, again, I thought a very unique and uh, potentially groundbreaking development. Uh -huh. So uh, SpiceJet, which is based out of India, has partnered with an Indian software company to offer in-flight entertainment on passengers' um, own devices. Mm -hmm. But instead of installing heavyweight servers and routers, what they have discovered is that they can use two specially modified Android phones as Wi-Fi servers and routers. Now each phone can accommodate the IFE traffic for approximately 40 passengers. Okay. So SpiceJet is, is claiming that with three of these phones, um, and they've said each of these phones weighs about 200 grams each, so for about 600 grams, they can provide uh, from 400 to 600, depending on the aircraft type, they can provide in-flight entertainment to all the passengers on an aircraft. As I said, I think this could be groundbreaking yeah. um, technology, um, but they did not specify, as usual, when this was going to take effect um, and... Um, you know what the the other advantages or if any disadvantages there would be but again i thought this was a very interesting development and i wanted to mention it yeah no that that's so, very and cool. they didn't specify the software company uh, i do know it's based out of india that, that's pretty cool so, because i have an android phone and um when i travel um i use it as a um uh, uh a hotspot and that's, okay. basically, that's basically what they're doing. They're using the phone as a hotspot to, and then having everybody else connect to it. Um, so I just want to quote what the SpiceJet marketing, marketing statement said. Okay. An abundance of indulging content catering to audiences across all groups in eight languages. <laughs> indulgent content. What the heck does yes, that mean? Who comes up with this? <laughs> marketing folk. I know, that's pretty funny. So it's going to be anywhere from cartoons to TV shows to yeah. movies. Well, it's good because... Which is I mean, pretty impressive, I yeah, think. Yeah, the technology that we have in our hands is, is really amazing, amazing technology. Yep. 
Um, I mean, I, I think back when we had the 56K modems and the 28.8K uh, modems, you're like, oh my God. So yeah, I can definitely see that um, making sense because what happened was I used to tether my phone all the time. I, actually, initially the phone companies were like, no, you can't tether your phone. And then whenever you talk to, whenever you travel, and uh, you're able to tether it just because you're using a different phone company. You come back and they're like, oh, no, you can't tether your phone. I'm like, well, of course I can. I just tethered it when I traveled. So why can't I do it here? So they were blocking it. And then uh, I don't know if it's an FCC thing or what the deal was, but then now they no longer block it. So I can totally tether my, because it's, mm. it's my Wi-Fi. I'm paying you for it. It shouldn't matter whether I take it hotspot or whether I use it, you know, straight from the phone. Yeah. So, I'm glad that they've come up. One of the things about this whole um, coronavirus thing, you know, I mean, it's, it's devastating the world economy and people, and unfortunately taking people's lives, but it's also allowing us to think out of the box. And the little guy who was sitting in the corner with some idea who everybody thought he was an idiot is now they're finally going, oh, why don't we try your idea and see what's happening? So that's really, really good that they're doing stuff like this. Um, let's, we're going to go to airports and I got a story about, uh, that I read today. Um, so they have these coronavirus dogs. <laughs> so the idea is that dogs are very, very uh, sensible. Their, their sense of smell is like super amazing, which is why they use them to sniff out cocaine and drugs like that when people are driving with. And um, so now they're going to have these specially trained dogs at the Dubai airport who is going to sniff if you have the coronavirus. <laughs> um, Dubai is actually pretty interesting because they're the ones who are coming up with all these innovative uh, things when it, comes to, when it comes to the coronavirus. So now they have the coronavirus sniffing dogs. And the fun thing about it is um, they take a sample from your armpit, basically taking your saliva, and then they put it in this container, and the dog doesn't actually touch your touch your saliva. They actually sniff it. So I don't know how the container is designed. They didn't really say, it, but it's a metal container, and in one side have your um, your your scent, I guess in that sense, or your your uh, your your sweat. And the other side, the dog will sniff from the other side, and they have a second in the 90s accuracy um, of whether you have coronavirus or not. <laughs> so are they going to actually stop people and ask them so the, the story they can really, test their armpits? I know, right? So the story didn't That's really going to be nasty. all the details about the process, the process, but um, I wouldn't like to be the one taking that sample. <laughs> um, so, you know, the funny thing about all this, oh, there's so many cool, innovative things that's going on. You almost want to like, you know, like, we really should go traveling for sure. <laughs> I mean, you have to give them an A for effort. Though. Oh, I know. Develop I, mean, I mean, I almost want to go like, buy, you know, we, we, we need two tickets. Maybe if Emirates is listening in Dubai, we, they can sponsor us to do this. Um, we, we need two tickets. Basically, uh, not two, but... Give us carte blanche to fly in Emirates, wherever we want to go, because we know that if we happen to get sick, and God, I hope we don't, um, we'll be covered by their insurance. 
<laughs> we'll, yep. also, we'll also get free of cost to the passenger. Exactly. And so yeah. we can test all the things that they're, that they're doing. We can test the armpit thing. Um, <laughs> we can test. You know, this sounds <laughs> very similar to what they're doing in the West. I, th I believe it's in the U.S. Uh -huh. where they're having dogs um, test people if they have cancer by sniffing them. Yeah, so the story mentioned that as well. Oh, it did? Okay. Yeah, it, it did mention that. <clears throat> so, um, so, yeah, but it's, it, it's, it's very um, innovative what we're doing. And I just hope that, think, well, you know, the, the dogs are specially trained and it takes time and things like that. And I just hope that um, a lot of the world is working together and it's not just one person or other countries right. not being like stupid and go, well, we don't want your technology um, when it's helping the greater good of everyone. Uh, Speaking of Dubai, I'm curious to know when Emirates will announce flights to Tel Aviv. Oh <laughs> yeah, right. Um, well, did, 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 you, did you read the thing? Yeah. Okay, good. So you can talk about that. No, I don't I, know. I don't know when uh, no, they, no, no, they no, have but, specified. But just the whole thing, because that's very, very major, right? I saw yeah. the headline. I didn't read the story. But basically, the Middle East the is, UAE. Talking, is talking to Israel, which has not... Well, not the Middle East. Before. The UAE. Well, the UAE. Yeah. yeah. But that kind uh, of in stuff the past, Oman has uh, uh, also collaborated with the Israelis. But the UAE um, yeah. has... Uh, established normal diplomatic relations with Israel after Jordan and Egypt. So I think it's a big deal. And um, I think El Al should be a little bit worried, especially for their flights into Southeast Asia, like Bombay, Bangkok, because now I'm willing to bet that a lot of passengers would be more willing to try Emirates than El Al hmm. or flights okay. to Tel Aviv. Yeah. Uh, well, well, the good thing so, is, um, Emirates don't have any more A380s, right? So they can't like bring an A380 to, well, they They've do. They've got right? a lot of them sitting on the ground going A380, nowhere. Yeah, yeah. So that's going to be interesting. But I'm sure there's like something in the clause that says, you cannot fly an A330 from uh, Dubai to Tel Aviv. <laughs> no. no, but given that Emirates has such a uh, high frequency to Iran, yeah, uh, I'm sure Iran is not going to be happy. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, but, but you know, it, Emirates has tied up with, or is flying to yeah. Israel as well. But I don't think they really have a choice. Yeah, Iran, it's, it's good that as a world, we are slowly um, being nice to each other. You know, because we realize that it, it's kind of, you know, for, for whatever reasons, we decided we we're going to be nice to each other a long time ago. And we've kept it up over time. And so now it's really good that we're kind of stepping back and going, yeah, okay, thanks. let's try. Let's try to work this out, right? Um, Palestinians are not happy because they've sort of been sold down the river. Yeah, but um, again, the UAE and Israel really never were adversaries. Um, so, I mean, yes, this is significant, but it's not like um, you know Egypt and Israel. Yeah, the two countries it's a start. Oh, yeah, it's absolutely. It's a start. It's a start. Absolutely. And, yeah. And that, now that's they expect really good Bahrain thing. next. Good. Good. Yeah. Um, so. All right. The politics of aviation, right? <laughs> uh, 
Um, all right, so let's talk about, uh, we'll talk about engines and then we'll talk about manufacturers and then we'll call it a, an episode. Um, engines, Rolls-Royce is doing, uh, oh God, they're having problems again. What's going on now? So let's back up a little bit and uh, to about two years ago when uh, the 787s powered with the Trent 1000s started having um, in-flight shutdowns and cracks in their engines. So a lot of carriers that had ordered um, 787s with Rolls-Royce engines mm -hmm. had to ground their aircraft for extended periods of time. So what they discovered was happening was um, like a wake effect. The reason these um, engine blades were cracking in the 787 aircraft is that they were being affected by resonance, which is essentially a wake effect from a prior stage of the engine. Because remember the aircraft, the engine in, ingests air at a certain speed and then speeds it up further and then pushes it through uh, confined spaces to generate the thrust. Okay. So um, they determined that to be the problem, the wake to be the problem. Now, in this case, um, they tested 20% of 600 engines. So approximately 100 engines that go into the XWB uh, engine variety, which is powering the 359. It should be pointed out that the, the 350-1000 uses a different technology so that aircraft type is not included. So it's just the 359 that is affected. Hmm. So what they found that um, these aircraft that are four or five years old um, started developing these hairline cracks. They haven't really diagnosed why they are developing these cracks, but they expect to have a solution by the end of the year. So um, they will have a fix also at that time, but just yesterday actually, EASA, which is the European Air Safety Organization, required that all carriers with Rolls-Royce XWB engines on their Airbus 359s had to have them inspected um, once they reached um, a certain level of um, cycles. And I believe it was 2,300 cycles. So what a cycle is, is one takeoff and one landing. So, and these are engines that were in service since about 2015 or 16. Right. So they caught it early and they're able to fix the problem, which right now um, involves just replacing the fan blades until they find a permanent solution. And given that aircraft schedules are so curtailed right now, most airlines are not impacted right. at all, certainly severely. Yeah, but this is not a good sign for Rolls Royce, especially after the, the debacle with the Trent 1000 on the 787. Yeah. But uh, they've owned up to the problem and hopefully they will get, take care of it before it becomes an issue. Uh, wow. Because I know that um, there's a lot of airlines who was using the Trent 1000 for the 787 yes. Yes. and the airplanes were just sitting there. Um, but as but as you say, at least this time around, the planes aren't actually flying, so they can try to. Well, they are it. flying. 
they are flying, but they haven't had any of the shutdowns yeah. or right. Uh, well, when I say any of the, when I say I'm flying, I mean like a lot of the airlines who fly the three fifty, the three five nines, are not flying them because no one's flying, pretty much. I mean, or they're flying them on very reduced schedules. Yeah, because like Delta, they're not going any international, so they're not flying their three five nines. But I don't know if that's the engine that they use on it, right? Aren't they flying 359 to Amsterdam? I don't know. Yeah, I, I, I don't know what they're, what they're doing. Oh. Um, I did see something that was weird the other day. I was looking at some flights, and code sharing is really interesting how they do them. Um, so, like, you could tell some of the routes what they're doing. So, uh, like, KLM will fly the route, and, of course, it's code shared on Delta. and um, it's almost like they're doing some routes KLM are taking care of and some routes Delta, Delta is doing. So it's, it's quite interesting because right now when you do flights, it's very, it's actually very difficult to get for, to get anywhere now, just because the flights aren't there or they're not yeah. there daily or they're flying on another carrier that you may not want to fly on. So it's very, it's very slim pickings that are out there. And most of my friends that I've, that I've, showed pictures of them flying the planes are empty except for like the little cross intra europe hops or stuff like that um, mm -hmm. it's it's quite interesting we're going to try i'm going to try to have uh, a friend of mine who just flew to spain from the uk and then he also flew from the uk back to finland and see if he can tell us about what what is flying like in europe Okay. I've seen pictures, but I haven't really heard from anyone. So we'll see how mm -hmm. that goes. Um, all right, cool. We'll have to keep in the, with the, the Rolls-Royce saga. There's always something going on. Um, uh, all right. So manufacturing. Um, I've always been intrigued by how <laughs> the, the new Airbus planes look. Um, you know, to me, they look like a, I don't know, a bird or something, or a badger or something like that. But Kusha have done some research and he's gonna tell us why they look so mean. <laughs> I'm going to go on record right at the beginning saying I do not like uh, what Airbus has done with the cockpit windows on the 350 and the new 330neo. Mm -hmm. And I especially dislike the look that Air Canada and Air Belgium have done <laughs> which give their planes like this bandit look, this mask around, this black mask, oh, the around, black the mask around the eyes. Yeah. I do not like it. I know it doesn't matter. It's entirely superficial. But as I said, I'm going on record to say that I dislike it. But anyway, uh, getting okay. back on track. So I'm sure most people have noticed that every Airbus 350, both the 900 and the 1000, have this black cockpit surround. Yes, they do. Now, Eva says, with a reasonable amount of humor, that you can have the surround, the metal surround around the cockpit glass in any color as long as it's black. <laughs> of course. And um, this is the first Airbus aircraft with curved cockpit glass to preserve the aerodynamic, aerodynamic efficiency of the nose. And here, surprising for a European company, 
they issued this marketing gobbledygook, and I'm going to read it to you. Uh, this black surround around the cockpit area of an Airbus 350 um, aircraft is emblematic Ray-Ban-like black windshield eases the window maintenance and contributes to harmonizing the thermal condition of this temperature-sensitive window area. When you stop rolling your eyes, Airbus explains that when cockpit glass is replaced, mechanics have to go at it from outside the aircraft. And in order to get to it, what they have to do is remove the surround. So in the process of doing that, they said that this coloring them black cuts back on maintenance because in the process of removing them and reinstalling them, paint that may be stipulated by other carriers' color schemes gets chipped off and that requires updating. So once it comes from the manufacturer as black, that issue disappears. Hmm. But as far as I remember, um, any aircraft livery really does not color the metal surround an aircraft window. Mm, because that is always a metallic but uh, color. Yeah. It always retains the metallic uh, finish. Uh -huh. But um, Airbus claims that's not the case. Um, and so we're stuck with that. And the reason the Airbus 330, the Neo, has the same um, finish is because Airbus said they wanted to standardize the look among their future long-haul white bodies. Because remember, for the foreseeable future, the 350 and the 330neo are the only Airbus white body products. So they wanted to standardize the look across both of them. Mm. There you have it. Until they come up with some other cool technology to do it, right? Uh, yeah, no. marketing. Somebody in marketing really helped them write that piece. Um, yes, clearly. Th that, that, you know, in short, because I said so. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. <laughs> either, either you buy our plane looking, with the, with, looking like a bandit or you don't. <laughs> so that's interesting. So maybe you guys can tell us, you know, leave us a message or something about what do you think of the uh, the bandit looking uh, A350s and um, A330 Neos? You know, it makes sense. Um, uh, not, not that it makes sense, but I've always wondered why it is. So thank you very much for clarifying that. <laughs> I don't think I've seen an A330 Neo yet. Um, no, right. I don't think I have. But TAP was the one that flies them into the U.S. now, right? Right. But I, I believe they've switched to, to the 321 LR. Oh, okay. Because they used to fly them to uh, New York. Yeah. At least. Yeah. And I think to Chicago, they do. Yeah, because we have a lot of flying to do. Why can't this I know we go do. away? <laughs> uh, I just want to get so, up one day and go, oh, we don't have it anymore. Can we move on now? <laughs> Um, all right. Yeah, so, this week had some interesting and very different topics to cover. Yeah, no, that, that's, that's really, really good. Um, and the final one that we have, which I think is quite interesting, 
um, as a person who grew up in the software generation um, and being a geek who used to pick up those, um, let's see, uh, well, when I worked for Continental a long time ago, we used to go and update the kiosk. And we actually had a case of, it was like 21 discs. And there were three and a half inch discs that we had and we'd actually load them. And then we'd make copies and whenever one screwed up, we would um, have to do, redo the entire thing. So we'd actually bring two cases in case, for whatever reason, one of them in the batch wasn't any good. So Kusha's going to tell us, are we still doing that? Well, <laughs> depending on the age of your audience, People may not know what the heck we're talking about. Uh, well, but, true. <laughs> um, if you were alive and kicking in the 70s and 80s and 90s, you know exactly what a floppy disk is. Um, that used to be the here. only way to communicate, as far as I know, to communicate between computers. Yeah. And a lot of the current aircraft that are flying were designed in that time frame, specifically. The Airbus 320, the original Boeing 737, and uh, the Boeing 747. What they discovered, this is a company called Pen Test Partners, or PTP, which is based in the UK. Um, and they describe themselves as a cybersecurity and penetration testing company. Okay. Um, they perform consulting on behalf of corporate clients. So what they discovered is that when they were going through a, a recently retired um, Boeing 747-400 from British Airways, they discovered that a lot of the software, in, particularly, in particular the navigation description software uh, for airports on these aircraft were updated via 3.5 inch floppy disks. <laughs> so what that means essentially is that when airport maps um, and runways and taxiways were modified, uh, these updates were loaded every 28 days um, onto planes. Um, and this necessitated an engineer going on board and actually doing this manual upload. And um, then it was discovered that several airlines, now again, what several means, I don't know, but it's a significant number of airlines around the world still rely on these floppy disks to update their aircraft. And that's understandable considering that a lot of the 320s um, flying for some of the smaller airlines around the world were built in that 70s, 80s, 90s time frame. Mm -hmm. um, but it's um, an update to that. There's this company called Teledyne um, Controls, I believe, uh, that now says that they can retrofit their software onto these older planes so that this software is then loaded um, using Wi-Fi. Mm. But until that is mainlined, um, this still appears to be the only way a lot of airlines around the world um, update their aircraft. Again, I'm a, I'm very interesting a, topic that we would <laughs> never have thought about. Uh, but. I'm okay with that, Kusha. I'm okay with still using floppy disks. Call me old-fashioned. Um, 
But you know, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Yeah. And it still works because once first, once you start converting how the data is going to get into the plane, um, they probably have to get like recertified again um, because you're mm. actually changing changing something in there. Uh, one thing I didn't realize. Money, though, right? It is going to cost money, which they don't even have now, right? Um, I yeah. did go visit NASA before the space shuttle, um, you know, was no, before it no hmm. longer existed. And the space shuttle is actually was being flown by a little, uh, uh, little controls or on a 286 um, computer hmm. that uh, 286 laptop that actually sat on top of the dashboard. That's what they, they use. For the same reason, you have all you have all these. Even Apollo Eleven, systems. right? Hmm? Apollo Eleven. Yeah. He said the technology there was far inferior to an iPhone or a yeah. Android phone. But I think what people didn't understand was that um, that was top of the line technology at the time the systems were created. Yep. Uh, it would, we had the best of the best right there, and so um, it takes a lot, like the new. Um, I guess the new endeavor, which is a dragon um, that mm. just went up to, mm. uh, to the space station and back, uh, it takes a complete re-engineering to actually mm. make yeah. everything uh, modern. And now that system, I, I assume they make it so you can modularize and add things as technology gets better, useful. Because I, I, I happen to have seen uh, below the A380 once, and we went okay. to, uh, where do we go? I think I went to, um, might've been a trip to Toulouse and the guy took, a, took me, I couldn't take any pictures, took me inside the A380 below the cockpit and it's amazing. Everything is all modularized and if something breaks, they just take it out and put another mm -hmm. one. Uh, you know, so it's, it's, it's pretty amazing the technology that we have out there and you know, I'm I'm okay with floppy disk. You just gotta make sure you have extra ones because when they break, <laughs> you have to get a whole new one. Technology seems to move much faster than aircraft design. Yes, it does. Well, because aircraft design constantly improving technology uh, yeah. in aircraft design is expensive and requires all sorts of testing and uh, other procedures. And I guess that's because um, you know. Uh, like everything else, when you design something, it takes years before it actually gets out That's there right. and starts flying. Um, so right. that that does make quite uh, make makes all the sense in the world. Um, all right, I think that's all the cool stuff that we have. Uh, yeah, we covered. Oh, it on time. Um, oh, we're like we're over. We're like about a little over an hour, I think. <laughs> But it's not bad. Most of the episodes are actually about an hour now. Um, the one we did uh, with um, the repatriation flight, that was only 26 minutes. Okay. So, you know, we're, we're, we're making up, we're making up I for think that he one. was driving and yeah. he wanted to. Yeah, he was driving. But I think that was, actually, that, that was actually really good. I mean, I am pretty amazed at the difference between those two flights and... So what I would like to see, Kushro, is if we can find somebody who repatriated to Europe and see what the protocols mm. were on a, on a flight like that. Yeah. So if you've done a repatriation flight uh, from somewhere to Europe, 
um, then uh, we'd like to hear from you. Or if you've done one to Asia, uh, well, we've done, we've done India, but if you've done like Southeast Asia or something like that, then we'd love to hear from you. Um, was it all you had for the, today? Yes. All right, cool. Well, thank you. Thanks again. Uh, we appreciate it. Um, this has been actually a really good episode. And I found out um, that we, we're pretty much on all, wherever you download your podcast or search for what's happening in travel or search for Kerwin McKenzie or Kushio Park and you can find us in the system. Um, I think there's one company that I haven't gotten certified for, but um, basically certified for um, everyone. Um, so, which means Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, um, Google Podcast, um, and of course, you can go to passrather.com slash WHIT, and you can see all the episodes there. So again, thank you so much. Uh, this is Kerwin and my buddy, and we are signing off for episode 25 on Saturday, August 15th of What's Happening in travel. Take care.